welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday the 26th of May with me, B. Stevenson, covering for Ian Welsh whilst he's away. We've got a recent interview coming up with Ian and Debbie Shakespeare, Senior Director for Sustainability, Compliance and Core Product Lines at Avery Dennison, on the crucial role of technology in developing circular supply chains in the apparel sector. First, though, a quick roundup of this week's sustainable business news. The UK Climate Change Committee has warned that the UK government's hands-off approach to the net zero transition risks stifling economic opportunities and the development of clean technology markets. The CCC's research shows that the net zero transition could create between 135,000 and 725,000 new jobs in low-carbon sectors, including buildings retrofit, renewable energy generation and electric vehicles. But current government policies are not fully realising the potential of the transition. The CCC emphasises that a proactive approach is needed to ensure secure, green employment for the future, in alignment with the government's goal of levelling up the country. The UK government is currently off track to achieve its target of 2 million green jobs by 2030. The CCC calls for a commitment to green skills and training at COP28 to accelerate global climate action. Some campaigners have been disappointed by the outcome of the recent G7 summit, which we spoke about in last week's Monday briefing, as nations reiterated a commitment to decarbonise power grids by 2035, but insisted that natural gas must remain in the energy mix as a temporary response to the energy crisis. It's been reported that while the G7 nations, including Canada, France, Italy and the UK, together with the EU, were in favour of building on their low-carbon commitments, Germany and Japan had lobbied for continued temporary use of liquefied natural gas. In a statement made after the meetings, the G7 nations specified that this should be implemented in a manner consistent with our climate objectives, without creating lock-in effects. Several green groups have, however, seen this as an endorsement of new fossil fuel gas. In a decisive move to reduce carbon emissions, France has implemented a ban on domestic short-haul flights, where train alternatives are available. Two years after initial approval by lawmakers, the law will prohibit air travel between Paris and cities like Lyon and Bordeaux if the same journey can be completed by train within two and a half hours. Connecting flights will still be unaffected, though. Critics have argued that these measures are symbolic bans, unlikely to have any real impact on CO2 emissions. In its original iteration, the legislation would have put a stricter restriction on any journey that could be completed by train in less than four hours, a move fiercely opposed by an aviation industry already crippled by the pandemic. Many have praised the ban as evidence that government can and must implement unprecedented policies to tackle the climate crisis. The Science-Based Targets Network has launched the first corporate science-based targets for nature. These build on the existing climate targets set by over 2,600 companies through the Science-Based Targets Initiative and have been developed to give these companies a framework for assessing, measuring, acting and reporting on work towards a nature-positive future. The first nature targets will help companies improve their impacts on freshwater quality, specific to nitrogen and phosphorus, and freshwater quantity, as well as protect and restore terrestrial ecosystems. An initial group of 17 companies, including Nestle, have been selected to pilot the methodology this year. The target validation process and a first version of the land targets are anticipated to be rolled out in early 2024. The Innovation Forum team has been working hard on developing the last conferences in our 2023 spring conference season. Next week, we'll kick off our US Future of Food conference in Minneapolis, for which there are still a few tickets available. 
From the 12th to the 14th of June, we'll be holding the next in our Future of Climate Action conference series. Do go to the Innovation Forum website for all the latest information and how to register at best rates. Ian Welsh recently spoke with Avery Dennison's Senior Director for Sustainability, Compliance and Core Product Lines, Debbie Shakespeare. They discussed how technology will enable the development of circularity in apparel supply chains and the importance of digital traceability in extending the life of a product through consumer education and authentication. We're going to talk a bit about the role of technology in developing more circularity in the apparel sector. Why don't you start off by giving us a quick introduction to the work of Avery Dennison. We're a $9 billion organisation. We focus on material science and manufacturing. We specialise in the design and manufacturing of a wide variety of labels. But I'm here today to talk about apparel, so let me talk about what we do in the apparel sector. We're really at the forefront of intelligent labelling. And we're the world's largest supplier of RFID in the apparel sector, alongside our digital Atmarayo platform, where we've got now 28 billion items working through on that platform. We work across the apparel sector, and I'd hazard a guess that most people touch a product that we've supplied at least once, twice every day. That's quite a bold claim, but that's amazing. I guess if you've got 28 billion items in circulation, then the chances are we're going to come across them. Let's talk about digital traceability then. Why is digital traceability important for the apparel sector? When we talk about traceability to begin with, digital traceability is a new trend for sure, but traceability overall isn't a new trend. Requirements are getting harder. One of the things that we really see historically with traceability It's been used more in the context of brand protection. So, you know, today with your trainers, your sneakers, there's the ability to scan a barcode or a QR on that and validate the authenticity of that product. We're really seeing that change and the requirement to go deeper into the digital supply chains. We know consumers are asking for it. We did some research last year with GWI and they came back and said 46% of consumers found that transparency was going to be important. When we think, you know, why digital traceability is important from the apparel sector point of view, carbon is such a big issue. We know that. Depending on whose maths you look at, between 4 and 10% of the world's carbon is tied to the apparel industry. And to be able to tackle that challenge, you need to have traceability into the supply chain to have a single fact-based source of truth from extraction of material to end of life. For years, we've been talking about digital twins on products, and we're now really seeing that get closer to reality. One of the big issues in the apparel sector and others, of course, is thinking about developing a more circular approach and developing some circular supply chains. What is the role of traceability in helping develop circular supply chains for the apparel sector? The message we send to the brands that we work with, and we're dealing with the biggest brands in the apparel business, is start getting a digital trigger on a product to unlock so many different use cases. When I think about the circular supply chain, I think there are a few. And if I kind of run it through in the classic waste hierarchy or or circular supply chain model, the first one's excess inventory. You know, we know that based huge issue with overproduction within the industry. Overproduction impacts circularity, impacts carbon. And this is where the technology of RFID plays a huge role. RFID is a technology that's been around for a couple of decades. And historically, it's been used about managing inventory, inventory accuracy, and getting inventory in the right place at the right time. But that has a direct impact on circularity, because if you've got the right inventory in the right place at the right time, you can sell it, which means that it's not obsolete. 
there's also this direct tie between excess inventory and carbon. Every product has got a carbon footprint. And we did some research last year, and we found that on average, 8% of inventory at a company is either discarded or perished. If you know where your products are, you can keep them in circularity longer. That's just reducing excess. The other case is around making sure that the product, once it's made, remains in circularity for as long as possible. And we really see this strong use case for being able to put a digital trigger, QR code, NFC, whatever type of technology that's required, that really informs consumers how to care for the product, how to repair it, and how to keep it in life for as long as possible. I mentioned brand protection. You think through that whole resale network, that's an area that's emerging. We talked a lot about it at the conference. When you think about the resale of products, we've done some work here, and we really have this vision that longer term, a garment's going to be as easy to either dispose of or resell at the end of life as it was at the beginning of life. And through using digital triggers, consumers and brands can authenticate that product. They can check the time it was produced. They can tie it back to a specific collection. And it really helps that authentication and reuse. And then long term, the end of that cycle, you've got the use case around traceability on how to get the right product to the right sorter or the right recycler to be able to aid that part of the circular supply chain. And we really see digital playing a strong role there. Just while we're talking, a couple of clarifications. RFID, what do you mean by that? Radio frequency identification. So that's where consumers would see on their graphic tag, the piece they pull off. Lots of products have got RFIDs there, and that's used for stores to be able to measure inventory accuracy. Similar type of technology, but for NFC, near field communication, is the chips that we've all got in on our credit cards where we tap things. You've got wide range, you've got short range. One's consumer interacting, one's really used for, for inventory accuracy by organisations. And what do you mean by digital triggers specifically? As an industry, we're thinking of something that a consumer can interact with. So it's either NFC, so near field communication. It could be a QR code that sits on a product. It could be some type of ink that triggers a response. It could be a thread that's embedded with technology. Trying not to pigeonhole digital triggers as a QR code, which is the most frequent method right now, but that will change and evolve as technology plays a part. But really a method for a consumer to be able to interact with a product, tying back to the digital twin concept. You mentioned some of these just now, but let's dig a little bit deeper into the resale, repair and recycling issues. What are the technological advances that are making a real impact there? Let's go back to think about resale. When, when I think about where the technology is going, it's going to be legislated against. Tied to the Green Deal, we know that there are going to be digital product passports that will be put on products. Apparel is one of the first ones to be rolled out. That is going to mean that we all need to start getting ready within the industry. Language right now is digital trigger, which could be NFC or QR is the most likely as we talk now. But if I was going to think through the resale, it would probably be the specific case of those two technologies and really being able to tie it through to consumer interaction on how they can resell that product, but then a platform authentication that the product is genuine, they know the season, they know the history, really being able to tie that through. And at the conference, Chloe spoke about the partnership that they had, where they're really looking to enable that second resale for their consumers. Repair. How can technology help advance in, the, in terms of repairing items? 
So repair has been a concept that's been around for a while. You look at Patagonia, they've been doing it for a number of years. Where technology can play a role is we're seeing that a lot of brands are setting up repair centres for products that they have. And if you've got some technology on product rather than on a company website that tells a consumer how to repair for their product, you know, where to take it to, who are the authorised vendors that provide that service, how long it's going to take, how you can track it. We really see that technology playing a role there. And then recycling more generally, I guess it's all about the traceability point here. Yeah, and I think when it comes to recycling, you think through the big challenges that are going on with the industry today. I mean, what's the number? 92 million tonnes of textiles discarded each year. It's estimated to go to like 148 million tonnes by 2030. There's the legislation that's coming through that's really looking for a true circular supply chain of textile waste rather than of uh, plastic bottle waste. So again, the industry is looking to evolve to change. As an organisation, we invested earlier this year in CERT, who were a chemical recycling company, really to look at how we can use digital identification technology to provide textile composition and supply chain composition to the companies that are doing the recycling. And here where we see technology playing a role is this isn't going to be a manual sorting process, which QR code technology generally is a manual process. We're looking here about where RFID and other technologies can play a role to be able to turn textile recycling into a more automated process like you see other forms of waste are today. I guess for recycling, it's the stream contamination point, which is the key one. So many potential reuse technologies require very low levels of contamination. If we move towards technology where an entire room's inventory can be calculated at once. Exactly. If you can get the information to, first of all, the sorter, so the sorter can understand what the composition is, so they can send it to the right recycler. But then you can start giving the composition data of the product, what's in it from a chemistry standpoint and a contamination standpoint, but then also what's in it from a yield point of view. So organisations can really start to plan what the economic value is of that product and what they can expect out of it long term. And also be able to plan the supply chain. We all know that for recyclers and sorters today, they don't know what's coming and when and where and what the yields are going to be and how you're going to plan your production. So the more you can automate that and you can use technology to play a role, the much slicker, lower cost it will become longer term. And also help brands be able to plan their raw material inputs today because there's a willingness to move to more circular products but being able to have that supply chain feed makes it more difficult to plan. So many of the solutions we hear about big problem they talk about is, is lack of feedstock of the right quality and if this is technology is a way of, of I guess of achieving or solving that problem. Clearly these sort of issues and developing the right sort of solutions are going to re- require collaboration. How do you think the sector should collaborate more or indeed better, uh, to develop circularity? It's been really interesting to watch and being part of the industry and part of the industry's journey as well. So we've seen that the industry can collaborate on sustainability issues and you've seen the progress on the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. You've seen how auditing's become standardised within the FSLM and and the HIG platform. So you've seen it, it's possible. We've seen that brands are very much committed to addressing climate through the Climate Charter When it comes to circularity, collaboration is key, and we're not necessarily seeing the level of collaboration on circularity that we are seeing on other issues. 
And if I reflect on that, I think it's kind of down to a couple of things. First thing, it's still quite new. But secondly, the requirements for different brands are so very different. So within a collective like the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, the requirements are very similar. You want to make sure that you've got an environmental supply chain. You want to make sure that you have got an ethical supply chain. But the requirements from a luxury brand when it comes to circularity are going to be different from a high street brand. So resale is obviously going to be very important to the luxury sector. To a high street brand, probably different requirements. There's this uncomfortable factor around if you address circularity correctly, it's going to have an impact on the economic value for your brand long term because people are ultimately going to keep products in circulation for a lot longer and are going to buy lemons. I think we're early in the journey. Everyone accepts that it's somewhere that we need to go. The end mission is clear around making sure that recycled content sits in the physical products, but how we really facilitate it and use it is a space to watch where collaboration is absolutely going to be needed. It does feel, doesn't it, that the resale route for the high value, high quality garments is really taking off. It's, it's a significant growth. And as you say, there's significant impact long term on what business models are going to look like. How that develops will be fascinating to see. And on that, when we've talked about this earlier, the regulation and legislation are going to have a significant role in nudging behaviour change. What do you think good regulation looks like in this space and how can it help make that behaviour change that we're talking about? I think it takes time to, to begin with. When we look at any legislation changes, they take time and they take some well thought out plans. What I think is really interesting is the work that the EU is doing. And I'm saying specifically the EU because we all work within a global garment supply chain. So the EU doing one thing and the US doing something else. That's the challenge as brands come to manage their supply chains. It's something that we all need to think through and consider. And what's so fascinating about the EU legislation is that it's all laddering up to the commitment of the 2050 net zero policy. And they're really looking at empowering the consumers to make better buying decisions, which I really see as the carrot. We all know consumers play such a big, strong role in the apparel industry, and it's so heavily influenced by fashion and trends. Where I see the legislation coming that I think is incredibly interesting is around the stick and what's going to happen on a taxation point of view. So fantastic that they're talking about setting a level playing field in terms of in-store and online players are going to be treated the same. That's really important to have an equal playing field. Really interesting to see the responsibility for the end producer responsibility of the garment, setting some criteria around the eco design and the recycled content, and then overlaying all of that with the corporate due diligence. To me, as a sustainability person, sees the European plans very, very well laid out and being heavily influenced by what's happening in France already. Where I think the challenge is going to come and where the role of legislation is in that global aspect that I mentioned at the beginning. It's the same factory that produces something for the brands that get sold everywhere. So how do you manage that and make sure that things are in synchrony? I mean, is it a case of simply having to work to the highest standard necessary? If you're going to sell the same thing around the world, then you're going to have to adopt the practices that meet the highest standards. I think so. And then there's the question is, are the raw material feeds there to be able to support it? Will consumers in other regions pay the price? Because we all know that this ultimately comes at a cost. They're the things that need to be taken into consideration. Very interesting indeed to see how this all develops. For now, Debbie Shakespeare from Avery Denison. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for the time. 
The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. Do look out for the recordings of this week's webinar on resilient agriculture, held in partnership with Regrow. That's it for now. I've been B. Stevenson, and until next time, goodbye.